invite you to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. If the passage itself isn't all that familiar, what happens in this passage will be very familiar to you. We have the, um, we have the, the scene where Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. Jesus dismisses Judas to go and betray him. And Jesus issues a new command to his disciples that they are to love one another. We are familiar with these things. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about Judas once we get into it because we see what we see and then we move on. Um, But I will share um, a story of betrayal that at least begins to get at what it would have been like for Jesus, for one of his own to walk away from him in the way that uh, Judas did. There's a lot of people in history that have the label, the great. And some of them may have deserved that by man's standards, and some of them probably did not deserve it even by man's standards. Um, Alexander the Great uh, was a very young man when he took power. He had always feuded with his father when he was 20 years old. His father was... Uh, assassinated probably by Alexander's mother. Um, But Alexander goes on as a a 20-year-old man to lead an army of 37,000 Greeks to go after the largest and most powerful empire the world had seen at that time. Now, Alexander was not a man to lead from the back. Instead, Alexander had learned the value and the power of cavalry, and so he would constantly drive his men absolutely crazy diving right into the thickest and and most terrible part of the fighting. And they would rush more to save his life than anything else. But in the meantime, they would defeat the Persians just trying to keep that crazy king of theirs alive. And so over the, 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 the whole course of the war against the Persian army, Alexander, putting his life and, and, and everything at risk, he endeared himself to his men because they knew that he was willing to go anywhere that uh, he was asking and telling his men to go. In fact, he got there first most of the time. And so as Alexander looked over the empire that he had conquered and what he was forging with um, the, the conquered lands from the Persians, he was not satisfied. He wanted to go further. He wanted to go even deeper into the world than he knew any army had ever went. And so he travels toward India. Now in India, his Greek soldiers by this point had fought across a continent and they faced things that they had never faced before. They faced enemies that that fought with poison darts and and enemies that fought with elephants and enemies that fought with things that they could never have imagined over in Turkey or in Greece for sure. And the men, although they did not lose battles, they did lose heart and they began to turn away. Now, Alexander died from a whole lot of things, but probably one of those was the broken heart that he received when he realized that his men were going to turn around and walk away whether he was going or not. And that betrayal was something that Alexander made it back into his empire, so to speak, but he was never the same. He never overcame his wounds, and he eventually died. Now, Alexander was just a man, and the people that he chose to surround himself with were not of the greatest of character. Even those that received his kingdom after he died fought among each other, divided that kingdom up, and made it into much less than what it had been under Alexander in the 12 or 13 years that he lived. And what we can learn from that is that people 
will betray. We are all capable of losing heart, losing faith, and betraying. And Judas was just one, like many others, that was looking for something out of Jesus instead of looking to follow Jesus. So this morning, we'll begin studying the last things that Jesus said and did with his disciples before his crucifixion. While we know what's going to happen in a few short hours from the beginning of this particular passage, the disciples would have only had a sense of foreboding. So it's important for us when we see their reactions to remember that they were living in the moment like we sometimes are. So if they had known, you know, in just a couple of hours, Jesus is going to be arrested, he's going to be crucified, the whole thing that we now know, if they'd have known that, they probably would have reacted differently to what Jesus was saying and doing. They certainly would have listened closer, but they didn't know that. They were in the moment much like we are. So when we read this, we need to realize that although we know what's going to happen, the, the disciples don't know. And so for them, this is all brand new. Jesus is not teaching them how to survive the day one day. He is teaching all of us how to live until he returns. And that language of where he's going and, and bringing us to him, that language is going to dominate a lot of what Jesus says over the next five chapters. And so we need to have that as part of our mindset is that Jesus is preparing his disciples and even us how to live, how to be as we go forward. And as I said in my opening statement, Jesus isn't leading us to go somewhere that he himself has not went Everything that he does, he gives us, or everything that he commands, he gives us an example of how to follow that. So the sermon in a sentence is this. Jesus set the example of humble service and left the command of selfless love. Okay, so let's read this passage. It's John chapter 13, 1 through 38, um, and, and we'll begin. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For Jesus knew who was to betray him and was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put, out, put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. 
For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what you need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, You will lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. Okay, so first of all, we see that Jesus is our example to follow he leaves us an example. Uh, this passage begins John's account of the night before Jesus was crucified. So John says that some of these things happened before the supper. Uh, and obviously we know that some of these things would have happened after the supper. And John doesn't actually record the institution of the Lord's Supper. So they would have been having the traditional Passover meal. But at some point, we know from the other Gospels, Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. He explained what each part was and what it was about. Um, but John doesn't record that because it is recorded in three other Gospels. Um, he and his disciples were actually gathered in a private upstairs room to partake in this Passover meal. 
Jesus had went through great lengths to conceal the location of this upper room until that hour. And the reason is so that Judas could not sell him out during that time. He had reserved and, pre and prepared that time for his disciples. And then afterwards, when Jesus was going to Gethsemane, that's when Judas is, is able to betray him because he knows where Jesus is going after the meal. So Jesus knows that his hour has come and he is ready because he has loved the disciples that the Father gave him. In fact, as we look at the next five chapters, um, we're going to see that Jesus demonstrates that he went on loving them right to the end. Jesus knew that his hour had come. His disciples may not have grasped that, but Jesus knew. And it would be very easy to retreat within yourself and to, to seek strength within yourself, to be quiet, to isolate yourself because you know what you're going through or what you're about to go through. But Jesus instead spent the last little bit of time he had left pouring love and, and, and teaching into his disciples so that they would be prepared for life after him. So before the Passover meal was served, Jesus began to wash the feet of his disciples. Um, typical footwear that um, people would have worn during that time were sandals. And obviously this was a dry and arid environment, so it was dusty. So a person on the way uh, to dinner or anything like that, their feet would get dusty. And it was usually expected of the host to actually provide a servant to wash people's feet. Um, this didn't happen in this case, and we don't know. Jesus may have actually rented this room, so there may have been no host. Um, some of those details are not clear. But what we do know from other, the other gospel accounts is that this was around the time that Jesus had, I mean, the disciples had one of their conversations about who is the greatest. And the reason that they were having that conversation then is so that they could set the seating chart for the meal. The main couch, the center position, would have been the position of Jesus. That was undisputed. But to his left would have been the greatest, and to his right would have been the second greatest, and so forth and so on, depending on the, the positions of the couches. The center was always the best, and then left, and then right. And so that was kind of how that went along. And so they were trying to decide who was going to get to sit where. That's why they were talking about the greatest. They were actually trying to rank themselves so that they could sit in their places of honor. And, and so this conversation had consumed them so much that they missed the fact that that they were at the most important dinner of, of, of their discipleship in Jesus anyway, the most important part of all of that. Now, if they had really been thinking along the same wavelength that Jesus was, one of them would have realized there's no servant to wash feet. Maybe I need to do that. Maybe I need to step in and, and perform that service. But all, all they were concerned about was who got to sit where. They weren't concerned about the things um, that would have been you know, a lowly, menial type task, but something that Jesus took an opportunity to do, so it must have been very, very important. Jesus um, decides that this is the way to teach his disciples humility. Um, again, this would have been a task typically set aside for servants. And so he takes off his outer garment. He would not have been, you know, naked or anything like that. He would have had still a, uh, a, a we would probably call it something like a gown on, but he would have had clothes on. And then he takes a very long towel and wraps it around himself and so that he can always kind of move it around and have dry places for what his work is. And he begins to wash feet. Now, we can imagine how this would be because by this point, they have seen Jesus do everything 
that he was to do on the earth before crucifixion. They had seen him command the wind and the waves to be still. They, they had seen him pray and all of a sudden, you know, there's enough food to feed 15,000 people most likely. They had seen him raise the dead. They had seen him cure leprosy. They had seen him give sight to the blind. And they had seen him call Lazarus forth out of the tomb. They had seen the majesty of Jesus at this point. Um, not to mention the transfiguration that a few of the disciples saw. And now here is Jesus performing a task that was really only suitable for a servant. The other disciples may not have said anything, but we're going to see certainly uh, that Peter is not going to keep quiet about this. Um, we should never, never allow ourselves to be so self-absorbed that we allow the work of the kingdom to pass us by. Th this, is, this is important. The work of the kingdom is sharing the gospel, but that's not all it is. And you're going to see, as Jesus gives this command, love one another, that is part of king, the work of the kingdom, that we love and serve one another. And we should never be so self-absorbed in what we've got going. And in this case, the disciples were worried about where they're going to sit and who has what rank and all that. They didn't, they didn't see that there was an opportunity to serve. And so Jesus took that opportunity. And so what we can learn, at least from the very beginning of this, is that we need to be looking for those times that we can serve. Those times that, that we can humble ourselves, maybe do something that's below our station, if that language ever should even cross our mind, which I don't think it should, but find a way for us to serve and to help and to show love to one another. Jesus was about to have the most difficult night and day of his, early, of his earthly life, yet he took time to serve others in that moment. And I think that is a great example for us. In those times where times can be the most difficult, we still need to be looking for ways to serve and to help others. So now when Jesus actually gets to Peter, this outspoken disciple said what the other disciples were too ashamed to say. You're really fixing to wash my feet? And, and, and Peter was not challenging Jesus or being disrespectful, but... I think he was speaking to his own shame and the shame that the disciples would have had at this point that, that they had not thought to, to serve in this way. They had not saw, thought to, to humble themselves in this way. So when, when Jesus gets to Peter, Peter kind of expresses that, that problem that he has with, with Jesus being the one to cleanse his feet. And so Peter knew that it should have been him or it should have been somebody else. Um, but he still, he still needs to do it. Um, now, Jesus' response is not quite as harsh as it sounds in English because he's only telling Peter that he can't receive his part. So when he says, when Jesus says, um, he gets to Simon Peter, and uh, Simon Peter says, Lord, you're, you're, you're to wash my feet. And he says, what I'm doing, you're not going to understand um, now, but afterwards you will. And Peter says, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered in verse 8, if I do not wash your feet, you have no share with me. He's not saying that if I don't wash your feet, you're not a Christian. What he's basically saying is that if, you don't, if I don't wash your feet, you'll never understand how to serve with me. You'll never understand what kind of service, what kind of ministry that I'm calling you to. And so what Jesus is telling Peter is that this is the way we will serve. We will not serve as, as prideful people. We will not serve as those 
who follow the earthly pattern of rulers. We will not serve that way. We will serve as the lowly. We will serve as the humble. We will serve as those who do not think anything of themselves, but rather think more of other people. This is how we will serve. Now, now Peter truly does command Jesus. In, the, in his second statement, Lord, you shall never wash my feet. He truly does dare to command Jesus, Lord, you'll never do this to me. And, and, and it was still self-deprecating, or at least in, in, a, in a way of pridefulness, that, that I'll never let you serve me in this way because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn it around on you and serve you. And Jesus says, you, can't, you will never understand. If you, if you do not have this moment and allow me to wash your feet, you'll never understand. And so then Peter never does anything halfway. So if it was absolutely never wash my feet, as soon as he was convinced that Jesus needed to wash his feet, he said, not just my feet, but my head, my whole body. Give me a bath. And I believe at this moment, I really believe that, that Peter was, was serious and Jesus joked with him. I really believe that Jesus joked with him. I think what Jesus basically said is, well, Peter, you should have took a bath before you came here. I mean, he, he does say, you know, you've washed your whole body, only your feet are dirty, so that's all that needs to be washed. Um, and, and I really believe that when he said that, there was like a twinkle in his eye. He looked up at Peter. He should have took a bath before he came here. But even in that moment, it has to turn. And so in that moment, when it turns, Jesus mentions that there's, there's some that aren't clean. Not that they haven't bathed, but they're not clean spiritually. He mentions the fact that Judas will betray him. Uh, and, and then he begins to explain his actions what he has done. Jesus is Lord, and he has humbled himself to the lowliest of deeds, so we should never view any task as beneath us. Whatever it is that God's calling us to do, whatever we see that we know is God's work in God's ministry, we should be willing and ready to do that. It may sound or seem lowly, but if there is a way we can serve someone, we should do that. We should serve in whatever way God is allowing us to serve. Now, it's important we point out that Jesus wasn't giving a third sacrament at this point. This was not a giving of grace or anything like that. So this is not on the same level as the Lord's Supper or baptism. But rather, he's showing us in action what he meant by the saying, the, the first shall be last. Because this, this service of, of foot washing was a lowly thing. It was for a servant or a slave. And so the Lord and the Master performs this task to show that we all humble ourselves and serve in any way that is needful, that is useful. And we don't think of anything as beneath us or lower than us. We should always be willing to serve someone else because we have seen our Lord and Savior humble Himself in the same way. So it may not be foot washing. In fact, it probably won't be foot washing. We have closed-in shoes now, or some of us do. Some of us still wear sandals. But we, we typically will have closed-in shoes. So that's probably not the ministry that it once was. But there are ways that we can serve. There are ways that we can help, and we need to be looking for those things. Are there people that are hungry? Are there people that are just tired and need a little encouragement along the way? Are there people that are sick? Are there people that are lonely? Are there people who simply have lost their way and need a friend to come and show them that way again? These are the ministries 
that God is calling us to. These are the services that God wants us to perform. And Jesus led the way. He went first so that we would know how we should go. Judas really and truly does serve as our warning to heed. Who Jesus is, or Judas is, the way that he acts and responds is a warning to us. You know, if, if you'll notice in the passage, um, in, in verse 21, it says, after saying these things, uh, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. This is another time that English tends to fail us a little bit because this doesn't just mean that Jesus was bothered. He was deeply grieved. It, it, was, it was terribly upsetting for him to know that one that had followed him for three years, and I believe that Jesus knew the whole time, but one that had followed him for three years was now about to betray him. That would have hurt Jesus on as deep a level as anything that he was about to approach. And when we do it, I believe it hurts him just as much. Judas was one of Jesus' disciples, and although Jesus had loved him, Judas would forever cut off his relationship with his Savior. What, Jesus, what Judas did went too far. Judas went past that point where he could find that redemption because what he had did is betray Jesus. He had denied Jesus as who he was. Jesus would have washed Judas' feet. Judas would have been in that group. Uh, but, but the betrayer would have left before the institution of the Lord's Supper. Uh, and that's one thing that helps us understand that the, the foot washing is not a sacrament whereas the Lord's Supper is. The Lord's Supper is for baptized believers whereas um, and Judas was gone before that happened. And so that helps us to understand that. So when Jesus announced the betrayal... We know that each disciple asked if they were the one. And that's very significant. I think it's important for us to recognize that. So John doesn't record it. John says that they wondered. Um, but in some of the other Gospels, I think Matthew specifically, each one asked in turn, Lord, is it I? They, they didn't, and John is almost like everybody's wondering, well, who is it? But in some of the other Gospels, we find out that most of the disciples were wondering if it could possibly be them that was, that was going to betray Jesus. And I, and I don't think that we can we can downplay the fact that the disciples thought they could have been weakened. That's probably one of the best things they ever did was self-examine like that and wonder, could it possibly be me? Now, when we look at Judas and what drove him to make this choice, I think we can see that it can easily be many people and not just Judas himself. So even at this quiet and spiritual moment, the disciples feared that they would lose faith and abandon God. And Jesus finds a way to communicate to Judas in a way that only he would know what the Lord was saying. Now, John may have known. He may not have even understood himself at that time. That's kind of the way that, that, that it reads, is that nobody knew Judas was going off on business or doing whatever he needed to do. Um, but Judas viewed his relationship with Jesus as transactional. I give, I get. And when he believed that he had gotten all he was likely to get... He was ready to check out. He was ready to be done with that relationship. And I believe that Judas thought that he could do what he did, get his silver and move on with his life and look for the next opportunity to, to advance or to have an advantage. I, I don't believe that Judas understood the gravity of what he was doing until after it was done. I think it took him by surprise. But in Judas, we can see that he was willing to sell the kingdom of Jesus. And we may not be selling kingdom secrets like where Jesus is at at this very moment, 
But if we let sin overcome faith, our betrayal will be just as great. We cannot allow sin, any sin. There, there's immorality sin. There is doubt and, and, and fear that is sin. There are all kinds of ways that we could allow sin to overcome faith. When we expect Jesus to give us things or to be what we want Him to be, it's a problem. So this next statement, I realize this might be just a little confusing and I'll try to explain it. Jesus had just taught a powerful lesson in humility, but Judas was looking for something uplifting, something that would uplift him. Probably we've all heard somebody when they left church say, well, I didn't get anything out of that. I believe that's kind of the very beginning of that Judas spirit. spirit, Because Judas was looking for what he could receive from Jesus, what he could get, what was for him in that. And I think Judas wanted to be uplifted and encouraged and excited about Jesus starting a new kingdom on earth. And when Jesus kept bringing it down to the point, I'm leaving earth, I'm going to die. When Jesus kept bringing it down there and, 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 and Judas saw that he wasn't going to get what he wanted to get out of Jesus, he was ready to go. And, and I think that there are a lot of people who look for what they can get. And if they don't get what they can get and what they want to get, they are ready to go as well. And that is part of that Judas spirit. Never let yourself get to a point where you're saying, well, I don't get anything and so I won't participate or I won't be a part. That's not the way we're called. We're called to come and die, not to come and get. We're, we're, we're called to come and serve, not to come and be served. Jesus served us. Jesus saved us. And then He has equipped us to follow after Him. You know, just imagine, just imagine if Jesus had come to this earth and He had performed a couple of miracles and said, you know what, I'm not, I'm not getting the attention and the recognition that I deserve, so I'm just going to ease on. See you all later. What a different world it would be. What a different world if Jesus had not served and saved to the end. What a difference it would be if Jesus had not loved His disciples to the end and loved us even to now. Judas was concerned about himself rather than concerned about Jesus. We must be willing to put our desires aside and obey the message of the Lord. And, and I'm here to tell you, you're going to not like the message of the Lord more times than you're going to like it. He tells us the gospel, and we ought to love the gospel, but He also tells us how to live. And that flies in the face of the way that we have been living. It always challenges us, it always pushes us, but His message is true. Whatever runs Opposite of that in our heart, those are lies. And just as Satan entered into Judas, Satan's lies can wreak havoc on our faith. And so to, to wrap this up, Jesus gives a command that we are to obey. Our command to obey. 
Jesus explains to his disciples that he and his father are going to be glorified three times over very soon. That's what he means when he says, I'm going to be glorified, the father's going to be glorified. He's speaking of the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension. All of those are glorifications of God and Jesus in this world. In other words, God receives his greatest glory from the actions that he performs that are our greatest benefit. So God is, God is giving and receiving at the same time when he puts Jesus on the cross. And so Jesus also reminds his disciples that he is soon going away and that they cannot immediately follow him. Um, even in this, in that conversation, especially the part that he has with Peter, we understand that there's a time that we can go there, but not right away. So the command that Jesus gave his disciples would be the identity of the church until he returns. So let's think about this for a minute. Jesus said, love one another, and that's how they'll know that you're my disciples. That's supposed to be our identity. Is that really our identity? Or have we been more like Peter who's stuck on a totally different topic when Jesus is talking about love? Peter claimed that he would go anywhere with Jesus, even to his death. Uh, and we know that Peter would display bravery in a very short period of time. He'd pull out his sword and he would strike an uh, a, a officer of the, the high priest. Um, but later, when Jesus was arrested and, and Peter was separated from Jesus, his courage failed. And Jesus said it would happen. But I'm going to tell you this. Before we are too critical of Peter, we must realize that he truly would have fought to his dying breath with Jesus. If Jesus had been standing there and saying, yeah, Peter, let's, let's take him out. Peter would have fought and he would have bled and he would have died right there for Jesus. That wasn't Peter's problem. He was not a coward. His problem came when he was separated from Jesus and that is when he began to drift. He only faltered when he needed to stand alone. And so we may also be willing to die but the question is, are we willing to live for Jesus? Oh, I skipped one. I skipped one, didn't I? And that was actually a good one. Have you ever invited someone to church only to have them say they don't go to church because the people love each other too much? That's not one I've heard. I've heard some other things that we do too much of, but I've never heard love. I, I haven't heard that one. But that's how we should be known. That's how the world should know us. I read this account of, of, of a historian that was writing from a Roman perspective, and, 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 and the Romans thought was, they are strange, but they love one another. And, and, and that, is a, that is a testimony for a church, that they love one another. You know, that means that there, there can't be these divisions, there can't be these rivalries, there can't be envy and jealousy. There can't be the things that split up churches. There can't be the things that make people dislike other people. There can't be those things. We've got to remember that at the end of the day, we might all just be foot washers that love one another. That may be what we have to remember in order to truly love one another. I would imagine that none of us have ever heard that, that saying, I'd go to church but they just love each other too much. So let's wrap this up. Jesus taught us that we must be humble if we are going to follow in his footsteps. And again, he didn't teach us that by just saying, hey, you're going to have to be humble. Not me, but you are going to have to be humble. That's not what he did. He humbled himself. 
he decided to do the lowliest thing that he could do at that moment to serve. And when we read in Philippians chapter 2, he humbled himself and became obedient, obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross. We must be willing to follow him even when we do not like where he is going. That was the mistake of Judas. He didn't like where things were going, and so he got out. We may not like where things go. We may not like who Jesus tells us to minister to. We may not like what Jesus tells us to do. We may not like the methods, but we have to follow Jesus where he is going. He gave us a single or the single command that should guide every interaction with one another. When we talk to another believer, to another Christian, the thing that we ought to remember is I love this person. I love this person the way that Jesus loves me. You're going to have a hard time gossiping about somebody like that. You're going to have a hard time challenging and, and being rude to a person like that. We're going to have a hard time being the way that sometimes we see interactions between two different churches or sometimes church members or denominations. Those kinds of problems and splits and divisions cannot happen if we follow this one commandment that Jesus gave us that should truly identify us. He also challenged us to live and die if necessary for his cause instead of our own. What does Jesus want? What is he asking for? That's what we go after, not what we want or what our causes are. And there is no easy way to follow Jesus. We must be fully committed to him. And I think, I think if, if, if we get that in our minds and in our hearts and decide, okay, so the way that we are going to go will be difficult. The road that we are asked to walk down will be a challenge. If we set our hearts and our minds to that, but we know that we are walking with Jesus, we are walking in His love, and we are not walking alone. We walk together. We love one another together, and we get to the end of it together. Then we will make it. But it's not about us individually. It is about Jesus, and it is about His church collectively, loving one another and serving one another any way that we possibly can. Now, if you did know of a church that just loved each other too much, wouldn't you really want to be a part of that church? That's what will bring the world to its knees, is the way that we love one another. Because if we love one another the way that Jesus loved us, that will help the church to understand who Jesus was and what kind of love He had for all of us. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you make us like you. Bend our wills to your word. Let us follow the example of Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.